Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today is our Valentine's Day episode, because Valentine's Day is next week. Yeah. What we're going to focus on is a missing persons case that began on Valentine's Day in 2000. And as always, we strive to get information out there about missing persons cases, because it's usually not the authorities that keep the information out there. Typically, it's like the families pushing for people to continue talking about it. And as a quick note, if you have a case suggestion, or if you are missing a loved one, please reach out to us because we want to help spread the word. Absolutely. We we have had people reach out in the past and we've shared their family members' information. And it's unfortunate that in order to be able to keep your loved one's investigation active, that you have to keep pushing, but it is kind of part of it. It's also, I mean, for this particular case, it's so bizarre to me to think that this is 24 years old because 2000 does not seem that far back. Also, as a note, my dog is aggressively snoring right behind me. So should you hear her, I am very sorry. But she is ever present and a part of True Creeps. <laughs> she is. My baby. She's our third host. Yeah, she is. So our case today will focus on Aisha Degree. And Aisha Jakia Degree was born on August 5th, 1990 in Shelby, North Carolina. Her parents are Harold and Aquila. And she has an older brother named O'Brien. He's just slightly older than her. Harold worked as a second shift dock loader. So he worked late hours. Aquila worked nine to five as a piano maker. So she was home fairly early. What an interesting job. Yeah. When Aisha disappeared, she was only nine years old. And at the time, she was a fourth grader at Falston Elementary School. At school, she loved math, science. She loved reading and writing. And she was also chosen several times to be student of the week. She was a very good student. So her friends and family would describe her as being shy, cautious, but sensible. She was also said to be very wary of strangers. And I mean, that that makes sense for, you know, typical nine-year-old girl. Yeah. Not really wanting, you know, to hang out with strangers. Also, growing up in the 90s, like, that was Dateline era, right? Parents were, like, That's aware true. of stranger danger and teaching their kids that. That was more present. Right. But there is an interview that I did see with her mom where she did say, quote, she would talk to anybody. That might have been the downfall, but we don't know. And I'm not sure if she meant, like, if she had met them before or, like, you know, people from church or whatever. She talked to them because they seemed like a safe person. But overall, she just seemed like a very, like, sweet little girl. Another few things to note is that she didn't like thunderstorms, dogs, or the dark. And I want to emphasize that she was very scared of dogs. Her mom said overall she was a very happy kid. And her classmate said that she wanted to be friends with everyone. Also, some people would call her a people pleaser. Like she always wanted to keep everyone happy. Aisha was very close to her family and she had a special relationship with her older brother. She was also very athletic and was even the point guard of her school's basketball team. At nine years old, that's amazing. Also, like little kids playing basketball is adorable. Yes. Yes. And honestly, any sport. Yeah. Especially very little. It's so cute. Yeah. When she grew up, she wanted to be a writer and an illustrator. 
And I also saw that she dreamed of studying science at Winston-Salem University. So she had a lot of plans. Yeah, I love that. So in the degree home, the kids were not allowed to watch a lot of television and they did not have a computer, which so we're thinking like this is 1999 and her parents were worried about Internet predators, which feels very astute because I feel like it was a thing that was in the zeitgeist. But a lot of parents weren't really thinking about that too much. And I think it was smart, honestly, to be a little bit like, hey, you're nine. You don't need to be on the Internet. Yes, yes. And Lindsay was sharing some reasons why (laughs) earlier before we started recording. (laughs) I will tell you, it's because I had an internet friend who I gave my address and we wrote letters back and forth and sent photos of each other. We both ended up being the age we said we were, which was 12 years old. But like I was friends with this person like until like my late 20s. We were in each other's lives for years. Like he was one of my best friends. I have the same stories. Yeah. But so the degrees had a normal routine. And that was after the kids got home from school, they would let themselves into the house because their parents were still at work. This was the 90s. Then they would do their homework, their chores, and then they were allowed to play. And they were aware of their routine because it was something they did every day. And there are other routines that they had throughout the evening that we'll talk about later. But like this was their, you know, like this is what you've got to do before you play. So we're going to talk a little bit about the days leading up to her disappearance, just so you can get a feel for who she was and what her routine was and what her life was like. So we mentioned before that she played basketball. So her and her brother both had games on February 12th of 2000, and it was at Burns Middle School. And sometime before the game, Aisha hurt her leg. And some sources say that she complained about it hurting both before and during the game. So there's three minutes left on the clock and Aisha fouls out. And her team loses. And it was the first loss of the season. So not surprisingly, she was pretty upset and took it pretty hard, which I feel like I would too at any age. Oh, yeah. Especially undefeated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then first one. And you're in pain. And you're nine. Little kid's dress, man. So Aquila remembers Aisha saying that the referees cheated, which I love it. She's like, I was robbed. I mean, don't we still see like grown men yelling at referees saying they're wrong and they're cheating? Absolutely. Like last week? Yeah. (laughs) So after Aisha's team played, O'Brien's team played, and her spirits lifted a little bit as she watched him. But we did see interviews later with Aquila where she said Aisha was still pretty hurt about the game because she felt responsible for the loss. And she kind of like marinated in that hurt, sadness space throughout the weekend, which I mean, again, very fair. They were undefeated. Yeah. So the same night as the basketball games, there was a slumber party at Aisha's cousin's house. Her name was Katina. And the kids had a good time. They stayed up late watching TV. And we think that one of the reasons for this was because she wasn't allowed to watch TV at home, which they're like, you know, slumber party behavior, slumber party rules. Oh, yeah. Slumber party rules. You're right. You're right. So on Sunday, February 13th, Aisha's family picked her up to take her to church. And then after church, they went to another cousin's house for lunch, and that was Shalonda Brown. And while they were there, Aisha's grandmother gave her perfume and candy as Valentine's Day presents. <laughs> so after visiting with extended family, Aisha and her immediate family went home so that her father, Harold, could get ready for work. And because she had stayed up all night the night before, right? She was pretty tired. So she fell asleep around 630 I've seen varying sources saying it was either on the couch or in her bed, but either way, she fell asleep. She woke up a couple hours later due to a thunderstorm. And so she went into the living room where her mom and brother were. They remember her wearing a white t-shirt with purple writing that said, sun degrees, hot in Atlanta, and then jeans. 
Her shirt was from the family reunion that they had attended the previous summer. I love that. A family event that has t-shirts. 10 out of 10. Adorable. So Aquila wanted the kids to bathe before bed because that was like their standard routine. They'd always do bath then bed, right? And when she went to go get the water ready, that's when the power went out. And it's because a motorist hit a utility pole nearby and it knocked the power out for like the whole area. And that was estimated to be around 9 p.m. I did, though, see another interview with her mom that said that they might have been watching the NBA game when the power went out. But either way, like all three of them were together right at home. So because of the power outage, she decided, you know what, the kids just need to go straight to bed, right? Like they're not going to go bathe in the dark. So Aisha changed into a white nightgown and it had red trim with a teddy bear on the front. Both the kids went into their bedroom, which they shared to go to bed. Now, I saw one interview that Aquila believes the power went back on at like midnight-ish because she had fallen asleep and she like heard it yeah. and it woke her up. You know how like when it like generates back on and yeah. everything makes a noise? Everything's turning back on. Clocks are making sounds. Yes. Your refrigerator starts running. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. Yeah. So it potentially came back on around midnight. Now, Harold came home from work around 1230. But the time that he arrived home does vary a little depending on the source. When he got home, the power obviously was back on. So he checks on the kids, makes sure they're good in bed, and everything seemed fine. Now, this next part varies a little bit too. Either Harold went out to go buy Valentine's and like candy and stuff, because it was also him and his wife's wedding anniversary on Valentine's Day. But other sources say that he did this on his way home from work, not after coming home. So he could have done either. But after returning home, either from work or from the store, he watched TV until about 2.30ish in the morning. So before he went to bed, he did check on the kids one more time, and then he headed to bed himself. At that time, both kids were still asleep in their beds. So unfortunately, that night was the last time that Asia's family saw her. Her brother remembers shortly after his dad checked on them, and he heard Asia's bed squeaking, and he thought she was just moving around, so he didn't open his eyes to check, which... I mean, it feels very reasonable, right? Like you share a room with a sibling. You're used to hearing them move around. And I also feel like if it was something that was more than the typical, he probably would have then opened his eyes because like, what are you doing? If nothing else, then to sass your sibling, right? Fair. Settle the fuck down, right? Like you have siblings, you understand. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We shared a room for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did see another source that said O'Brien also heard her get up to use the restroom, but that he had heard her come back to bed. But we couldn't confirm the order of what he thinks he heard. So whether she went to the bathroom, then he heard squeaking or it was squeaking in the bathroom. So sometime in the very early morning hours that night, Aisha packed her backpack and left home. And remember earlier that Amanda said that she was afraid of storms. So it makes it even stranger that at the time she would have left home, it was raining and windy. So it's not like it was a clear night. It, it was a storm. So around 5.45 in the morning, Aquila goes to wake the kids up so they can take a bath before school. Because remember, they couldn't bathe before bed. But when she looks in Aisha's bed, it's empty. And she searches the house and she can't find her. She begins to call family members to see if they had seen her. Some live close. So she thought maybe like she had went to one of their homes, which we didn't see anything that suggested that that was a thing that she would do, like get up in the middle of the night and go to a family member's house. But I could see being hopeful that that's what had happened. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I would hold on to that hope. Maybe she's someplace close. But so no one had seen her. And Aisha's grandmother told Aquila to call the police and get them involved as soon as possible. So then Harold calls 911 
while Aquila continued to search. So in that call, Harold mentioned that he noticed that Aisha's book bag and pocketbook were also gone. My immediate thought is she is nine and has a pocketbook, right? Like she's like a little woman. We'll talk about like the list of her belongings, but I think it was like a little purse. Yeah, yeah. So Harold also told them, quote, the next door neighbor said she went down the road and said she just seen a kid down the road, which it's in the middle of the fucking night. Why would you like if you saw a kid say something? immediately like yeah. you call 911. Yeah, I'm wondering though if if that neighbor knew that family lived close by and perhaps like oh maybe she's going to so and so's house. I was trying to figure out exactly where her family member lived. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a few like not super credible sources say, so I didn't want to put it in here, but to my understanding they were very close. But even still my family lives we literally live behind one another and if someone sees an, a 9-year-old kid outside they're going to say something if it's the middle of the night. That's fair. And I also like I do have to remember that this is also the 90s when 9-year-olds had a lot there of no autonomy. Rules. Like what well, no, 9-year-olds had autonomy. They were living their life. I don't think I was ever home alone at 9 but my eldest brother's 15 years older than me and wasn't living at my parents' house at that time but my middle brother was 11. So like it would have been reasonable for him to be watching me, quote unquote, you know. Yeah. So like but like I could see in the 90s them being like I don't know what that 9-year-old was doing. That's not my business. That's fair. So when Harold was talking to police, he told them that he didn't know what she was wearing when she left. As Aquila and Harold are searching for her, they also noticed that the doors and windows to the entire house are all locked. That also, by the way, doesn't necessarily like ring alarm bells to me because she would let herself in after school. So she likely had her own set of keys. So, of course, she knew that she should lock the house when she leaves because that's what you do when you leave the house. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, she couldn't have gotten back in because she would have had keys. Whereas like nine-year-olds today might not have keys. <laughs> right, right. I did see a place that said that she kept her house key in her backpack. And remember, yeah, her backpack is missing. So, yeah. So by 6.40 a.m., the police arrive to the degree home. And then by 7 a.m., the search for Asia has began. And at that point in time, the search they conducted was the largest and most extensive land search in the county's history. And it included teams of scent tracking dogs. Although from what we understood, they never found her scent. There were hundreds of volunteers. There were even officers from other police departments who came to look for her. Searches were conducted on foot horseback and vehicles and in helicopters. So they were, I mean, they were really looking for her. So as people were searching, they basically kind of formed a grid. So each person stood a yard apart. So the grid of their search was along Highway 18 and covered three miles in either direction from their home. We watched some interviews with residents who had spoke on this years later, and it, it seemed like they believe they searched everywhere. And they searched for the next seven days. And there were 9,000 man hours spent searching the area in total. That's a lot. And especially... That is. You don't hear that very often in missing persons cases. But I'm so glad that it feels like there was an extensive search. Yes. And just like anything, there were some holes. Like, there's always going to be holes. You can't say that every single place was searched. But I really do think that their intention was there. They yeah. really wanted to help. Which is... Unlike a lot of the ones that we've talked about in the past. Yeah. So some people came forward saying that they saw her around like four in the morning. Both people said that they saw her walking along Highway 18 about a mile away from where her home was. So one of the people who saw her was Jeff Roop, and he was a truck driver. He says that along his delivery route, going northbound on Highway 18, he saw a young girl. And she was wearing a white dress, white tennis shoes, and a backpack walking southbound around 3.45 a.m. Now, 
we want to paint a picture of what this road looks like because it is very different, especially from like where I'm from. It is a two-way road. And on either side, there's no sidewalk or anything. It's just trees and grass. And further down the highway, there are like residences, but they're not like near the road. They have a very long driveway to get to this residence. So it's pitch black. There's no lights. Even to this day, there are no street lights on this road. So all that lights the way is headlights. It very much looks like a rural farming community from what you're looking at, because even there's lots of trees, there's lots of fields and things like that. There's not a lot of like built up suburbs, at least on this road. Yes. So clearly Jeff's like, that's weird. And he was really worried because I believe he had kids at home too. So he's like, that shouldn't be there. And so he turned around to get a better look to make sure he saw what he believes he saw, which makes sense. Like if you're going down a road, it's dark. You're like, did I just say that? I've done that several times playing the game of, is that a dog or a coyote? So he turns around and he gets a better look. And he says that he noticed she was walking like she was on a mission, like she was trying to get somewhere. And so once he's like, yeah, that's what I saw, he turned around again and tried to call out to her. When he did, though, she ran into the fog and the darkness behind a like a wooded area. And so he couldn't see her anymore. And he went along his route, right? Like he's working. The following day, he saw the news reports, though, and he contacted authorities immediately. Now, another person that saw her was Roy Blanton Sr. And he was finishing up a trucking run and driving northbound on Highway 18 with his son and his son, same name, Junior. They spotted what might have been Asia around 4.15 a.m., so about a half hour later. This would have been about 1.3 miles south from her home. He described seeing a small person in light-colored clothes. I've also seen some reports saying that it was white clothing walking down the side of the road. Another report, though, there's so many with this. One says that she was wearing jeans and a white long sleeve shirt. But then in one news article, I saw just light colored clothing. He did not stop, but he did radio other truck drivers to be careful and keep an eye out so no one hit her. He wasn't sure it was a child, from what I understand. When Roy was talking to his wife, though, I believe it was a day or two later, she told him about Aisha being missing. And so then that's when he reported her. I think that makes sense. I think it's also important to point out that she's wearing very little clothing for February in North Carolina because it's not as though it would have been warm then. It probably would have been cold enough where she would have wanted a jacket. So she's not really wearing enough clothing, especially considering it's raining. Yeah. And so it's still unclear why Aisha left that night. She didn't like storms and she didn't like strangers. So it feels unusual to think that she would have gotten in a car with someone who she didn't know. She also didn't like the dark. And during the investigation, her family members were all cooperative and no one could think of a reason why she left. Also, law enforcement ruled out their family pretty early on as suspects because, you know, one, they questioned them, but two, they also gave them polygraph tests. Yeah. And we've talked about polygraph tests before, but remember, this is 2000. Yeah. We know a lot more now. I mean, I think that I'm more inclined to rule someone out as a result of a polygraph test than I am to believe guilt. That's fair. So I feel like it can sometimes maybe it's useful in like weeding out like people who are innocent so that you can spend more time looking for people who may have had something to do with it. But I mean, still not the not the most reliable of tests. Yeah. So the day after her disappearance on February 15th, some items that were believed to have belonged to Asia were found. But they weren't reported right away because the person who found them was way too far south. And they were like, mm, I don't think this is connected to this missing girl. 
And so the woman who found them was named Debbie Turner. And she found some items inside the doorway of her business's tool shed. And so the business was an upholstery business called Turner Upholstery, but it was also a residence. And the doorway that she was talking about, that tool shed, was at the end of a long dirt driveway. And it was about 100 yards from where Aisha had last been seen. Okay, terrifying. Yeah. I can imagine you getting that information and being like, oh, but this probably doesn't have anything to do with that. And then you realize that she was seen like literally just right there. Yeah. Yeah. So some believe that Aisha had ran to this property after she ran away from Jeff when he tried to help her and then she then hid. However, when police dogs were looking for her scent, they didn't find her scent inside the shed. Which is bizarre. Yeah. And also like when we're talking about in terms of like what happened that evening, one of the things that the Turner said was that whenever their dogs see strangers on the property, they start to bark. And their dogs didn't bark in that late night, early morning time when we think Aisha would have been there. So it's bizarre that the dogs that are looking for her scent aren't finding her. And the dogs that live there and are like strangers alert, they aren't seeing her either. Right. And had she seen or heard dogs, too, for how scared she was of dogs, she would have avoided that. Yes. Yes. Amanda and I spent a considerable amount of time on Google Maps and... We'll put it in our show notes, but we have kind of like mapped out the three of the spots that we're talking about today, just for like a visual reference, should you want to see it. But looking from Aisha's house to the upholstery business slash residence, it was a 22-minute walk in a storm at night in February. Yeah. So a moment ago, we mentioned that Debbie Turner had found some items in her tool shed. And so let's talk about what she found. So the first thing was candy wrappers. and. As an interesting kind of tie, the wrappers that were found were the same type of candy that had been given to her basketball team for Valentine's Day on Saturday. So it wasn't like they were just like, oh, here's candy wrappers. It must be a child. They were like, no, this is like the particular candy she had. And it was different from the candy that was given to her by her grandmother. We also saw in a couple places that said it was her favorite candy wrappers, like her favorite candy that were found there. And I can't find the name of this candy and if it was indeed the Valentine's candy, but a lot of places did say it was the Valentine's candy from the basketball game. Very weird. It's really hard. You you would think like because it's 2000, it's really not that far ago. But a lot of the news articles have been archived. Yes. So some of them were, were looking at like archived news places looking for articles on this. Yeah, because just because we're in a digital era doesn't mean that news sites are keeping articles up forever. Yes. So another item that was found was a 1996 Atlanta Olympics pencil. And the Degree family had family in Atlanta, and the Degrees had visited them in Atlanta that summer before. So she could have gotten it from there. They also found a green marker, a parabo, that Harold and Aquella confirmed was Asia's. And here's one of the strangest facts from this case. Generally, my brain has a hard time like getting past it and moving on because I'm like, but who is she? Right. Mm -hmm. So another item that was found in that tool shed was a picture of a little girl and no one knows who she is. Authorities at the time shared the picture publicly, but they didn't get any information. And it was also confirmed that the mystery girl was not a student at the same school as Asia. And we're going to share the photo. But we also looked on NamUs to see if she was a missing person that was otherwise identified. And we actually checked the entire nation to see if there was 
a child between the ages of like five and 12. I honestly think that the girl was probably like seven to nine, somewhere in there. But I was like, just to kind of broaden it. Yeah. But we looked to see if we, we could find a girl that matches this description to say like, oh, maybe this girl is also missing. But it also just might be a random picture of a child, which I feel like that would make me wildly uncomfortable if I found like a random picture of a child in my shed for no reason. Yes. Yes. Especially it's like a school photo. Yes. It's very strange. And yeah, we'll share it. But we spent a lot of time looking at this and comparing missing kids from all over the country. And we didn't see anyone that looked like this. So some speculate that maybe Aisha went into the shed and changed clothes there. And that's perhaps why the two truck drivers saw her in different clothing or gave different descriptions. We don't know. So the items were also sent off to a lab for analysis. However, the results of that were never shared publicly. Another interesting note that we found while we were digging is there is this blog and it's very, very detailed and it's called Finding Asia Degree. And on this blog, it says that there were also candy wrappers that may have been found on Highway 18, but they weren't found till Thursday. But technically the ones in the shed were found on Tuesday, but not reported right away. The writer of the blog does ask some good questions as to why authorities and searchers didn't really search the property right away since it was so close to the last place she was seen. But also remember, like the truck driver called in later and then the second truck driver didn't even call in that same day. So I'm wondering if maybe that's why they didn't know where she would have been. But to look at it both ways, like it is only a mile away from their house, too. So it's like that's not out of the possibilities for a little girl to walk to. So this blog goes into like, how were the candy wrappers found in two different places on different days? And they speculate that perhaps the candy wrappers were put there on different days. So that's just another theory to this case. We searched for more details about the wrappers and their exact placement, but we can't find any official sources that really prove exactly where they were found. Because even the way that they describe the shed is very, very open, like where they were found. Were they completely in the shed? Were they in the doorway of the shed? Sources vary a lot. Outside of the wrapper thing, though, some sources did state that searchers did approach the property of the upholstery business and asked them to search for traces of Asia. And then that's when they found these items, is when they were like, okay, we'll search our property. But they only brought the photo to police. That's the thing that stuck out to them at first. So they brought those to police. The authorities spoke with Jeff, the truck driver, again, and they decided, okay, we need to really refocus our search efforts around this upholstery business, Turner Home. When searchers went back to the Turner property, that's when they found the candy wrappers. And then one source particularly mentioned that all the various parties searching, their communication wasn't the best, which, I mean, remember, we have authorities, we have civilians, we have like all over the place, right? So that does make sense to me that maybe their communication wasn't perfect. So I guess searchers went back to the property again and didn't realize other people had already been there. And she's like, oh, I already took that photo to police. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, is there anything else? Anything else that seems out of place or odd that you found on your property? And then that's when she mentioned the other items. And then those ended up for sure belonging to Asia. So it's very weird. Like this whole scenario is just weird to me. Once the items were confirmed to belong to Aisha by her parents, though, investigators did send, from what I saw, a large team to the property to search and nothing else was found. Aisha's disappearance had no leads for a while, and the ground search was called off on February 20th. 
they ensured to say, though, the case is not closed. We're working on it. But just the search efforts have stopped because they didn't have any leads. They were relying on getting more tips at that time. But another piece of the puzzle was found in early August of 2001. So a construction contractor, Terry Fleming, found Aisha's backpack. And alarmingly, it was double bagged in plastic bags. So it was very clearly it was put in there on purpose. That's not a good sign. So again, while the construction workers were digging, what would later be either a driveway or an access road, we've seen both. That's when they found the backpack. And as an interesting note of that area, apparently some sources say that that used to be an old swimming pole over there. Isn't that weird? This is property that's owned by an individual. So like the idea that there's like a swimming hole that people trespass to go to and that this is found near it feels strange. Yes. Yes. And even stranger, the backpack was found 26 miles north of Asia's home of Highway 18 in Burke County. And it was about 50 yards west of Highway 18 in a wooded area. And it was between a creek and a road. So earlier, we talked about that she had been walking along a road. This is that same road that we were talking about earlier. It's just 40 minutes away. In the opposite direction, I believe. In the opposite direction. So the bag had Aisha's name and number. And the construction worker tried to call the number, but he didn't have service. So he wrote down the information and planned a call later. Terry would later tell a news outlet that he found the contents strange enough that I didn't feel comfortable with it. And the next morning, he mentioned it to his wife, and she recognized the name and had him call police. Let me just tell you, the wives of this neighborhood are like, on it, (laughs) are doing very well. Like, they're like, this sounds fucking off. But also, can you imagine picking up like a little kid's backpack that's like double wrapped in plastic and just like the sinking feeling you would have in your stomach? It just, it feels off. It does. And for him to say... That he didn't feel comfortable about it. You know, like if I found a kid's backpack and it had like papers in it, I'd be like, kid's backpack. It's, you know, found in a weird fashion. Yes. But the contents being strange enough that he didn't feel comfortable with it. I want to know exactly what was in it. I mean, I guess to me, it doesn't matter what is in the child's book bag for it to make me uncomfortable. It's how it was found, double wrapped, and being like clearly still a child's backpack. I think what is haunting. For sure. Like that's how I feel too. But it's just the way he said that. Like it wasn't how he found it. It was what was inside of it. it. And that makes me nervous. So one of the reasons why that's so unnerving is because the full contents of what were in her backpack have never been released. However, from what her parents had told investigators and some of the items that were released by authorities, we're relatively confident, as confident as we can be, that it contained at least the following items, if not more. So Aisha's favorite pair of jeans, a long sleeve white t-shirt, a red and black vest, black overalls with Tweety Bird, which like it brings you back, right? So we're talking about a nine-year-old kid. Yeah. So a black and white long sleeve shirt, a Tweety Bird purse, black shoes, Aisha's house key, a few family photos, her basketball uniform. And the last two items that we're going to talk about were actually confirmed by the FBI to have been in her backpack. And that would be a new Kids in the Block shirt and McElligott's Pool by Dr. Seuss. I've never seen that Dr. Seuss book before. Have you? Uh, I haven't. And I think it's because it's racist because I did a little Googling of it. And apparently there's just like some problematic ways that people are described. Interesting. Yeah. I'd also never heard of it. I'm glad I haven't seen it then. Yeah, same. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, I also haven't heard of that. I was like, what? Why? And I was like, oh, that's a good reason that we haven't. Yeah. So authorities believe that the majority of the stuff in the backpack 
did indeed belong to Asia, except they don't know where the New Kids on the Block t-shirt came from. And they also could not confirm that the book was actually hers. All that was confirmed was that it was from her school's library. And from what we saw, the checkout records didn't really explain more. It didn't say who checked it out or it didn't go back far enough. And again, the list of contents that Lindsay just went over, that's what could potentially be in the backpack because that's some of the things that the parents had said might have been missing from her room. Again, New Kids on the Block shirt and the book, though. Those were there. In 2018, authorities actually shared the book in the t-shirt, and it circulated in the media. They asked if you had a t-shirt like this or knew anybody that did, and if so, to call the sheriff's office. The weird thing is, is they didn't say it was from the backpack. I saw a few of the articles. They didn't actually specify that. Later in a FBI video that they made on their actual website, they did say it was from the backpack. Many sleuths online even looked at the last time New Kids on the Block toured near Aisha's hometown and where the shirt could have come from, which I went down a rabbit hole with the shirt. We're going to talk about it later. The area the bag was found in was searched, but it may have not been searched as well as the initial search. And there's some reasons why. From what we could find, it was much more of a rough terrain. There were a lot of snakes and some of them could really cause some damage. There's also some other wildlife, and it was pretty hot at the time it was found. And then, of course, dense vegetation. So they only had authority search for safety reasons. And again, these articles where they found the backpack, we can't find a ton of them. There are some archived ones that we were able to find. And we did find someone that posted a picture from their news where they had like an aerial view of where this backpack was found. So Lindsay and I, again, went on Google and looked at maps. The really strange thing that I had with this area is that where the backpack was found, according to this aerial photo from the news, they said that they were getting ready to either build like a driveway or an access road or something. To this day, it doesn't look like anything actually is built there. It just looks like like trash piles. In the old like aerial photos, there's like, some trailers in the area too. It's a very strange situation. It is really bizarre. And based on looking at where it would be on a map, we looked at that and then looked at the GIS mapping for the county. And from there, we could get the parcel number and the street address as well. And then we looked in local land records to see who was the property owner. And it's been the same person for decades. And it didn't look like there was any evidence that there was money being put into improvements in the land. Like, cause typically in land records, you would see something like a mortgage or a loan or something that would happen if there was construction happening because something would fund that construction. Typically, it's not just coming out of somebody's pocket. And it didn't seem like there was like a fiscal backing either, which just seemed interesting that like there were clearly construction trailers there for a while, but we don't know why. Yeah, or if they were indeed construction trailers, because some people on the internet said people were living there. So it's just a strange area. I will say that. Yeah, it's very, very bizarre. And the strange part that really gets me, because only because I've seen a lot of theories as to like how this backpack was found and why. Some speculate that whoever is involved, if someone is involved, placed the backpack there and wanted it to be found. And that's why there was a construction worker working for something that now that we look at it, nothing was ever really built. Yeah, but if you wanted someone to find something, it feels like a very convoluted way 
of having them find it to like make up a phony construction project and then have people come out because lots of money too it's expensive and in addition like there's like okay you need the workers who are there but like theoretically you also need permits and you'll need insurance and all of these things so that's like the most convoluted and expensive way to get people to stumble upon something i would be much more inclined to think that if you were going to do that you put it someplace where people would actually find it because there's a church parking lot right across the street right so they could have just put it there or put it in a donation pile at like a thrift store of some sort there's endless ways in which you could have something be accidentally quote-unquote found that doesn't involve uh this phony <laughs> construction situation right right but going back to what i was talking about the search effort in this area and so from reports it looks like 60 search and rescue personnel and law enforcement did search the area but again this area had a lot of vegetation there's a lot going on here randy mckinney from burke county assistant director of emergency management commented on how hard it really is to find things in this terrain And he said, quote, if there are 10 oranges out there and we ask searchers how many they think they're going to find, they'd say two. So that's 20 percent. And he even went on to say that the construction worker finding the backpack was a fluke because of just how hard it is in that area. So strange that it ended up there. Strange it was in the opposite direction. Just a lot. And just to note, we are talking about like a fully distinct area from where they had searched in February for Asia. This is not a place where they were able to search when it was cooler and more barren. We're talking about them searching in August when it's lush and there's lots of vegetation. Right. And to put it into perspective, this area where her backpack was found is about a 29 minute drive from her home. Still along the same street she was walking on, just 29 minutes the opposite way of where she was last seen from her home. Yeah. So we couldn't find any official news pages for this because, like we said, a lot of them were archived. But according to a very detailed Reddit post with sources listed, but some of them could no longer be opened, they also used cadaver dogs in this area. And what they said is they alerted them to three spots near the backpack, but nothing ended up being found. That makes me very worried. It makes me very worried. And also because we know that cadaver dogs can alert on very small pieces of matter, Mm -hmm. right? So like it can be something very small that like if you were digging and looking for a full set of remains that you might not find. Yeah. It could be as simple as like her blood or a small piece of tissue, but like body tissue, not like Kleenex tissue. Yeah. And also as a note, if you don't know much about cadaver dogs, we have an episode called Crime Fighting Critters. And we really we go into what it is that cadaver dogs do and then how they're trained. Which I think is just really fascinating to kind of oh yeah. Take a little look into. Anything a dog can do. It always amazes me. But again, the non-official Reddit thread for this area also said that they may have found some animal bones and a pair of men's khaki pants. But it's unknown if they had any relation to the case. That's unnerving. Yes, absolutely. And I found one article that kind of mentioned some of it, but it wasn't like super detailed. But I couldn't find that anything came of any of this. Like I know that they sent the backpack to a lab, right? But again, nothing was ever shared. So we're like, I don't know if the khaki pants were. I don't know anything about what happened after with that. Unfortunately, the case sat for a long time with no updates. And so over the years, there were some leads. So we're going to talk about a few of those. And one of those leads was that in February of 2001, or possibly the summer of 2000, we've seen both in different sources, 
a man named Baron Ramsey, who had been a former classmate of Aquila, came forward, and he claimed that both he and another individual were involved in a drug deal the night that Aisha went missing. On the way home from that deal, they accidentally struck her with their vehicle and killed her. He claimed that a few days later, they dumped her body in Moss Lake. So they're following most credible leads. So not surprisingly, they did an extensive search of that lake, and they didn't find any human remains. There was also no evidence to support any of his claims. Law enforcement believes that he made up the story as a way to get a better plea deal in a bank robbery case that he was being tried for, which is absolutely fucking disgusting. Disgusting. And also, when they say there's no evidence to support this, I really thought about that because I was like, what evidence would there be, right? If they had hit a child going, I think the speed limit is like 45, at least now, so probably like 50 or more, there would have been something left. Because remember, there's no streetlights. Mm -hmm. They would have had to act fast. They hit someone. There would have been blood. There would have been, you know, her belongings. Everything would have been on this road. There's no way that they could have cleaned it up in a couple minutes and left with a body. Like, there's no way. But what a disgusting human being to even like, you know, for my benefit, let's give the wrong details. Ugh, I hate people. If we're talking about him making this story up so that he can get a better plea deal in a bank robbery case, it's not as though he was confessing to something that would give him a short sentence. Right. Like it could be from what I saw just in a very brief search of vehicular manslaughter in North Carolina, it could be up to 10 years, which is a significant period of time to consider serving for something that you may not have done. Yeah. And there are unfortunately like reasons why you might not find someone's remains where they were left. And also it was raining that night. So Evidence could have naturally been washed away as well. But I feel like the dogs would have pinged on it then, you know, especially if there were blood. And I don't disagree with you. I'm just more like this as a reason doesn't make sense to me as to why he would do that. Yeah, it's dumb. It would be one thing if he was already in prison and was like, I'm going to confess to all of these things like Henry Lee Lucas did was because he was like, I'm already going to stay in here forever. Might as well just confess to everything. It just doesn't really make sense to me. But so moving on in 2004. A prison inmate claimed to know the location of Aisha's remains. And when authorities reached that area that was six miles from her home, it was an empty lot in Lawndale. And it was at the corner of Shelby and Rube Spangler Roads. And authorities weren't able to find anything other than animal bones. So then 11 years later, in 2015, the FBI received a tip from someone who had claimed that they had seen someone who matched Aisha's description getting into a dark green car that was occupied by two people and that it had rust around the wheels. And they even have like the make and model it was. They thought it was either a late 70s Thunderbird or a Lincoln Mark IV. And the car has never been identified, but it's this tip that had the FBI reopen its investigation. And on the FBI's website where they're talking about evidence in the case, they show pictures of the vehicle that you're thinking. And like, if you're thinking of like creepy car from the 1970s it's this car is it not it's just classic cars to me like i think they're cool cars that like they're flashy and and someone would notice it even like in 2000 it's still a classic car i'd like an old muscle car but if we're talking about one that had like rust around the tires yeah i doubt that it was kept in a nice condition where you look at it and go "Ooh, that car but either way no that's true that's true green is not a typical car color 
there's not a lot of these around in 2000, let alone today, right? So like, no, I feel like no. it would have stood out a little bit. Yeah. Another thing that I did is I went down a rabbit hole looking for these cars. <laughs> and I was looking for any of them that were sold around that time. Mm-hmm. Like around 2000, between 2000, 2010-ish. I found a few. I even found a few from like now. But a lot of them have been restored. So it, it would be hard to like truly match it. I would also imagine that... If it was sold, it was probably sold for cheap. It could also have been sold to a scrapyard. Mm-hmm. Because especially for vintage cars, scrapyards will pay actual money for those because people will come to pick the parts. Yes. So I think that that's like a possible place where it could end up where you might not be able to see the sale as easily. Yes, that's true. So moving on to another tip. In 2020, another inmate, Marcus Mellon, at a North Carolina correctional facility, contacted the Shelby Star, which is a newspaper, saying that he knew what happened to Aisha. So in his letter, he said, she was killed and then took and buried. I don't know how and what town she is in. So again, authorities are eager to find out what happened to her. So they followed up, but it took a bit of time because the Alexander Correctional Institute, which is where he was, was experiencing a COVID outbreak. Because again, we're talking 2020. So they had to wait to interview him once the prison was back under control. He was eventually interviewed along with another inmate, but there was no new information that came from it. And investigators said that his claims did not have merit. I find it just so heartbreaking that there's these like leads that seem like they're going to be so promising. It's not even just like, oh, I think I know what happened. I know a guy and he said this happened. And it's like 17 steps removed. For the most part, it's these concrete facts that feel like we should be able to move with them and they don't lead anywhere. And it just breaks my heart for her family and for her. Right. And for how long that was, right? Like she disappeared in 2000. Yeah. So like every few years, something comes up that leads nowhere. Yeah. Horrible. And then even when we were talking about the FBI, you know, releasing the picture of the shirt and the book, they found the backpack in 2001. They didn't release all of that till 2018. They, I guess they looked for what they could and they probably sent it for DNA and maybe they have something they're not letting on to, right? Like they're not telling the public, mm-hmm. but it still drives me nuts how how long the, this poor family is waiting for answers. I would also imagine that it's possible that there was evidence in there that they could use to rule out credible claims. That's true. So it makes sense to not share it because it's like, okay, then what was in her backpack? Exactly. And if they can't answer that, then the chances are it's not that person. Right. Right. So let's talk about some of the theories. And this is just some of them. There's so many out there. And there's a lot of people that dedicate a lot of time to this case. There were a lot of theories discussed as to why she even left home that night. And then also some theories as to like what may have happened to her. So the first theory is that someone else was involved and that they potentially groomed her and convinced her to leave home that night. And in my opinion, like this theory is completely possible. But remember, she didn't really like strangers. So going out to meet an unknown person seems a little weird. Also, it was during, you know, the storm in the dark. But maybe if she knew the person or felt like she knew the person, she would have trusted them and probably followed their lead. In an interview with a child interview expert, Aisha's friends from school mentioned that Aisha had shown them some cash that she had in her wallet on February 10th. Her parents don't know where this cash may have come from. Some say it could have been from whoever might be involved in her disappearance. I will say there are plenty of times that Oliver has come up and been like, look, mom, I have this cash. And I'm like, where the hell did you get it? 
And sometimes like my mom will just hand him money for no reason. Just here, you should go buy candy soon. Here, you said you wanted a toy. So like, because they were around family all the time, I wouldn't say for sure she got it from like a bad source. But also it does raise some flags. Absolutely. Anytime a child has money where you're like, why do you have that? It's alarming, but it's especially alarming when you're thinking that like this child from everything we can see, left their home of their own volition. Mm -hmm. So another theory, just to kind of piggyback on this one, is some people believe that whoever this person is told her that she was going to do something special for her parents' anniversary or maybe for Valentine's Day. And perhaps that's why she packed a lot of her favorite outfits. And some people even say like these outfits, a lot of them were like black, white, and red, which are like Valentine's colors. And like her purse and, you know, her favorite stuff. And so maybe that's why she brought those favorite outfits. And maybe that's why she brought family pictures is like, maybe they're going to do a scrapbook or, you know, something like that. Other ones are like, yeah, she was meeting someone and she just wanted to bring her favorite things either to show them or just to have her favorite things with her. Heartbreaking. So the next theory is that she was either meeting a friend or attempting to run away when a stranger kidnapped her along the way. Now, no, none of her friends or anyone she knows has come forward saying that she was supposed to meet them. So it kind of like takes a little bit away from that theory. Also, some say that perhaps she had planned to leave at the sleepover the night before, but no one at the slumber party had brought up talking to her about like leaving and going to meet someone. Some say that she wanted to run away because of the basketball game from the beginning. And I feel like this is all like a very big reaction to like losing a basketball game. And it's been a minute since we've discussed our outrage about talking about children running away and that it's like a plausible thing that most children are trying to do is that like, I'm not saying it happened here, but a lot of times in cases law enforcement says, but they tried to run away. And it's like, no, this is a child. So if they tried to run away, they got a mile away and then something happened. It's not that they were just, they were like excellent at disappearing. A nine-year-old couldn't go like live a life on their own from that point, right? Somebody else would have had to be involved who was likely an adult. Right. And like, when I think of little kids wanting to run away, it's normally like they pack something silly They pack maybe a snack or two and they're like, I'm running away. They go for like 20 minutes and they're like, oh, I'm already done with my snack. I want more. And they come home, you know, for like that age range. I could expect it from like a teenager. Yes. But a nine year old, like my son's eight. When he packs a backpack, it's like nonsense. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't know, just putting myself in like thinking of a nine year old and I just that doesn't compute. When you're hearing stories about children who are quote unquote running away, it's because there's like some type of argument, sometimes big, sometimes small, but it's never that like life was happening how life happens and then suddenly they're running away. Right. In most cases. In most cases, right? Like there could be things that we don't know. You never know. But when you hear about the days leading up to her disappearance, they seem relatively normal. They seem relatively normal. And it seems like she is surrounded by not just her immediate family, but her extended family. So I don't think that there was something happening going on at home. But if there was, there were situations where she was with adults who weren't her parents so that she needed to like tell someone she could. See what I'm saying? Like she wasn't isolated. Yes. And if we're thinking she ran away because she was upset about the basketball game, if it was that traumatic, she probably wouldn't have packed her basketball uniform, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And it doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. You had mentioned that when your son packs a bag, it's nonsense. This seems like an adult who was going away for a bit, and it seems entirely too purposeful. It's got several types of clothing that are layerable. It's got, like, sentimental things as well as, like, practical things. It's a little bit too adult for me to think that this was a child who made this packing list. What it made me think of is, like, when we're going on vacation and I go, okay, Oliver, I need your help. I need you to pick three shirts that you like and three pairs of this or, you know, whatever. And he actually does give me them, but normally with something silly, like he'll be like, I want to bring this tie. And you're like, solid. Great. Yeah. In this case, it's like, I want to bring my Tweety Bird purse. And you're like, great. Bring it. Love it. We're going to talk about this in a bit. But doesn't it kind of strike you as show and tell? A little bit. It strikes me as like, look at these things that are important to me. So remember earlier, we said that Roy had spoken to other truck drivers to be careful and to keep an eye out because he had seen someone out there. And so wanted to make sure that, you know, anybody else who was driving along that route could keep an eye out too. And some people think that another truck driver used it as an opportunity to abduct Asia. That's sad. That's incredibly sad. And, like scary because it, it could happen. Yes. Yes. We've talked about truck drivers many times on this. Many, podcast. many times. And yeah, especially when you're talking about like highways. Mm-hmm. So of all of the theories that we've discussed so far and we'll discuss. I think that this is the one that doesn't really make the most sense. And it's that she may have been sleepwalking. But to start, she didn't have any history of sleepwalking. So that was weird. Two, the night she left, her brother heard her moving a bit, but he heard like her going to the bathroom and coming back. He heard squeaking on the bed. He didn't hear the sound of her like packing a bag. Right. Because that would have likely been a bit strange. Mm -hmm. And it would have woken him up. Yeah. And so it's pretty clear that the bag must have already been packed before it was bedtime. And if you're thinking just like chronologically, it would have had to have been packed before the lights went out. Yes. So it would have had to have been packed earlier in the evening. So earlier, you know, we talked about the items that weren't hers. And while we're talking about that bag that she packed, again, we think it's very strange. But like, who gave her that New Kids on the Block t-shirt? Was that book hers? Because just because it came from that library doesn't mean it was hers. Right. So another theory, big discussion that we're seeing online is whether or not she actually was in the shed that early morning. Remember, we we found like some of her belongings, candy wrappers, pencil, hair bow. But the weird thing is the dogs never tracked her there, right? They, they never picked up her scent. And we also did a quick refresh about scent dogs and how they work just to see how the rain might have impacted her scent. And rain does not make scent go away. It actually can amplify it. And rain doesn't destroy or wash away a scent, but rather it like disperses it. So it may have been harder for like the dog to follow the exact path that she would have walked, but it would have definitely found the area that she was in. And so it's very strange that Around that shed, there's things that belong to her, but not her scent. Yeah, that's bizarre. So a very big discussion is what if someone left her belongings there to throw off the investigation? Yeah. And the reason why I'm like, huh, that makes me think is because her backpack was found in the opposite direction of this. So her house is in the middle. She walks towards the upholstery place and then her backpack's found 30 minutes away. It's strange. Right. It's 30 minutes away from her home. 
So another reason why a lot of people don't believe that she was in that shed is because it would have been tricky to get to that area from the road, especially in the rain with no lights. And I can't really see it on Google Maps, but I guess there's a three foot gully somewhere in there that she would have had to go over or pass somehow. And when I'm looking at Google Maps, you can kind of see a little bit of an uphill climb like to get towards the houses. So depending on where the shed was, she would have had to do that little hill too, where it would have been slippery because it it looks like it's been grass for many years, at least from the pictures we can go back to. So just it seems hard to get there. There's also a lot of talks of who the girl is in the photo. And Lindsay and I already before the podcast started today, we're like, this clue we can't get over. And so there's a lot of talks that the girl in the photo might be the person that Aisha believes she was meeting that night. And maybe that's why she had the photo. I think that that is the strongest of the theories thus far. And look, just because they did not have internet in the home does not mean that she wasn't using it someplace else. Yes. For example, I was in the Nickelodeon chat rooms whenever I would go to my Aunt Missy's house. Like, everybody knew I was in them. But, like, I was using their computers. And if you were thinking, like, ugh, their parents are just being a little bit overprotective, you might let them go on and talk to someone. And For sure. You know, I'm not saying that any of the family member did that. I'm just saying, like, there's lots of places where she could have been on a computer. Well, right. And remember, she you know, had friends if she went to any friend's houses or the cousin's house. Like, they were already letting her watch TV in the middle of the night, right? What if they had a computer? Yeah. I know we used to go to the library to do schoolwork on a computer because we didn't have one. And we'd for sure be in weird chat rooms at the library. Yeah. So there's there's ways. If a kid wants to, there are ways. So another theory, you know, some, again, some of these, I'm like, these are very far-fetched, is that Aisha had been influenced by the book The Whipping Boy, which she had read in school the week before. And we haven't read the book itself, but we have read about it. And it's about a prince who is a brat and can't be disciplined physically. So they get like a village kid to get beat instead of him. And then when the prince decides to run away, he brings his whipping boy with him. And like the king thinks that the prince was kidnapped. Then highwaymen, who we've talked about before, try to kidnap them to ransom the prince. And the whipping boy convinces them that he's the prince to save the prince. It's bizarre. And then the prince ends up getting beaten. They like help a guy with a wagon of potatoes. I don't understand why people (laughs) think these are related. Like, I get that she read this the week before in school, but I don't really understand how that has anything to do with this. And the moral of the, like, I feel like a lot of the story was like, don't be a dick if you're a kid. And also maybe don't run away because strange men on the highway might pick you up. And I feel like if I just read that book, I wouldn't be like, you know what I should do? Run away. Yeah, I believe it was a tip that was called in. Like, they're like, oh, by the way, her class read this. And yeah, I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah. So another theory is that perhaps the reason why Aisha's remains haven't been found is because it was in an area where there were feral hogs if her body had been near her backpack and that feral hogs could have disposed of her remains. Yeah. They're also terrifying. Yeah. I've seen some discussions as to like if that were something that happened, that they wouldn't necessarily get everything and that perhaps that might be why those cadaver dogs did ping a few places. Yeah. Which makes my heart really sad. Yeah. But in addition, the the area that 
her backpack was found. Some people think that it actually wasn't buried there. They think it may have washed into that area during a flood. Because remember, there was a creek nearby. And also, it was double wrapped in bags. So it could have been tossed in water somewhere and made its way there. And there are several arguments as to whether the area did flood during that time. But knowing that it rained, right? Like, who could say? We're talking about, like, 24 years ago weather. But, like, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I would just point out that if you were trying to dispose of evidence in a waterway, you likely wouldn't protect it. You would just drop it in. Yeah, that detail drives me nuts. Yeah. Why was it double wrapped in a trash bag instead of like, if you didn't want someone to find it, take the belongings out first off. Take the name off the damn thing. Well, if you think about it in terms of like when you have what is essentially a mobile pile of evidence, when you start pulling things out of it, you are then creating several piles of evidence. I guess. The only reason I can think that the backpack was double bagged is so that the dogs wouldn't pick up on the scent. Oh, maybe. Look, dogs, very powerful snoots. But depending on the type of bag, like say it was like a like a construction bag, right? Like you don't, you don't know like how thick is that plastic? They said a black bag from what I understand. Yeah. And one also like I seriously doubt that even if like we were looking at a news article of something that happened last week, they aren't going to tell you how thick that bag was, right? Yeah. Like they're not going to get in just in the weeds in that kind of degree. But I would be curious as to whether like how thick it was because that could absolutely throw off the scent. Well, the weird thing to me is that they left the name and the number on it. For any potential finders in the future, that's a missing kid's name. Yeah. And I think that, like, again, that kind of goes along with the perhaps this was put here to throw people off the the case, right? To, like, get people to be looking in a different direction. Because it is bizarre to be like, here is a pile of evidence. Take a look. Because presumably, if there are things that are not hers in there, especially something flat like a book that you could get a fingerprint off of, it seems bizarre to leave it in a way that it's intact. So this one breaks my heart, too, because we've talked so much about how our heart breaks for this family. But there are a lot of people online that believe that her father had something to do with her disappearance or that it was perhaps someone from her church. People find it strange that he went to buy candy in the middle of the night and they say that that's when he took her out of her room. But like, again, he worked a later shift. So to me, it makes sense that he would be running errands in the night. Also, like, look. It is the night before his anniversary and Valentine's Day, and he has remembered that he did not buy anything for his wife. Right. He's got to go. Like, he's got to go right now. Valentine's Day and your anniversary. Like, you got to go get something. Right. Like, can't you imagine? Right. Like, just like that sentiment of being like, oh, shit. I better go get something because tomorrow morning. Right. Uh, not to say, like, that they have that kind of relationship, but it's like, I could see being like, shit, I need to go get something right now so I have something for the morning. Exactly. And like you said, he worked the night shift. So what we do during our typical days, he was awake for at night. And so it makes sense that he'd do store trips or, you know, anything that can be done at night at night because he's more awake then. Absolutely. I mean, I'm that person too. I'm up. I do better at night than I do during the day. (laughs) So as of today, this case is still open. And there was some information posted back in 2023 that showed that the former Gastonia police chief, Tim Adams, and other investigators were still working the case full time for the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office. At that point, they had already received 600 tips, and they had boxes of evidence and files and interviews and everything. Adams said that it's this case that, quote, forces him awake at night. I could see that. Yes, like, I messaged Lindsay yesterday afternoon, and then I was just 
looking up more stuff because I was like invested in some rabbit holes I was going down. And I looked at the clock and it was midnight. And I was like, what is time? I just spent eight hours looking at this case and it felt like it, it's been 30 minutes. Yeah, it's insane. Especially like you get a thread and you start pulling and you're like, okay, yeah. what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Yeah, I had a list of questions that I was like, can I answer any of these myself? So absolutely. But it's sad that it's been this long and there's nothing. Adams also said that he tries to keep the case in the forefront of the media and that it generates a lot of tips and that that gives him the opportunity to check into them. He's hoping to find someone that'll come forward with a secret eventually. And he mentioned, and I thought this was interesting, I think he chose his words carefully as what he was trying to like put out there, is that he mentioned that relationships over the years can change and that someone that had a relationship with someone who knows something may not have that same relationship now. And perhaps they'll come forward mm -hmm. with information. I think that's a good point. Yes. And even though it's, you know, 20 years ago, I just hope that they get closure because I do too. This is such a long time to just be spinning and waiting. Yes. Well, you know how we've talked about other people that don't seem to care much about the cases they're working in interviews with him. I just I get that feeling of like this actually is something that he is passionate about and does want to solve. Yeah. He also said like he knows other cases out there that are older have been solved, especially with like new technological advances. And so he's like, I really think that we could do this, too. Isn't that interesting? We've also talked about in other cases that it's not just like the ability to test DNA that is better, but it's the ability to pull samples off of things that's gotten better. So things that you once yes. could not get a DNA sample from, you now can. It's so fascinating to think that where we're headed in terms of this type of testing. Right. And another thing that just stood out to me that Adam said is he said, quote, for me personally, I think about her parents. Always put myself in their place. How would you feel if you woke up and your nine-year-old daughter was missing? You would want to find an answer. If you can't bring her home, you want to find an answer. And that just hits home with not just me, but everyone in this community. And so he's like, in their place. I hate it. I want an answer. And like, he, it truly feels like he is working hard for it. And he's also confirmed this is not a cold case. They are actively working on it and they are checking out tips and they have things that they're discussing that they are like, okay, we need to check this out. So it's not a cold case. There's a difference. So in addition to the case being actively worked on by local law enforcement, the FBI and the Center for Missing and Exploited Children are also still investigating. And each year, Asia's family hosts the annual Walk for Asia, which is a memorial walk, and it starts at their home and it ends at Asia's missing persons billboard. That just makes my heart hurt so much. I've seen pictures from it, and it's just heartbreaking. But so Aisha's family has said that they still think she's alive somewhere. And in an interview, Aquila said, this is worse than death because at least with death, you have closure. You can go to a grave site or if you have the urn at home. But for us, we can't mourn. We can't give up. The only thing we got is hope. I Watching the interviews got me a couple times. Oh, yeah. So local news coverage still shares the case, and Aisha is referred to as Shelby's sweetheart. And lots of community members refer to her in that same way. And it really does seem like this community, I mean, they came out to help, right? And they, as a whole, want to find the answers. And not just the community, but law enforcement, which we often are not saying kind things about, that they are working to help the family and to find Aisha. And I hate that that's rare, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So we also saw an article from 2015 that said the FBI went door to door to pass out flyers to businesses and ask them to hang them up and to remind the community that she's still missing. So then on the anniversary of her disappearance in 2020, just 20 years later, the FBI put up billboards hoping to generate new leads. And I will point out, too, that when you look at her name as profile, and missing persons flyers. Some of the things that you you don't just see the picture of her as a child. You see the age progression photos of what she might look like today. Which like, you know that like I'm already like emotional about her family, but like I can't imagine like that's how you see your baby grow up is like mm-hmm. from a like a generative photo. I made Amanda cry now. We're all crying. It's horrible. <laughs> it's just like a different type. I just like my heart just breaks for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just to note too, the family also has a billboard that they put up where Aisha was last seen very early on. And it's still there today. So Lindsay and I, when we were looking at Google Maps, we were walking the path of where she would have been. And then just seeing that billboard, heartbreaking. What Amanda and I were looking at, like you can see in Google Maps the same location over several years, and you could see that they changed the billboard over the years to update yes. it. Like yes, it was different it. over time. Which again just it really gets me man yeah and one thing actually Lindsay and i were talking about beforehand too is the billboard is a little bit away from the upholstery home business area and Lindsay actually brought up a good point it might have been the first area where there's not a lot of tree coverage so that the billboard could actually be seen so that makes a little more sense yeah so one man who owned a farm at the time of her disappearance he was actually interviewed in 2018 and he mentioned that authorities came out and searched every well, every ditch, every ravine, and anywhere that she could potentially be on even his farm, even though he had no connection with anything, it sounded like. And then in the same interview, other residents in the area talked about how they grew up knowing about the case. And so in this community, it seems like Aisha is a household name. And so everyone grew up knowing that she was missing and that they wanted to find her. So it it was just different from a lot of the typical cases that we talk about where, you know, this is a small area. And so everyone knows everyone and knows she's missing and they're all working together. It's just, it got us. I'm still crying as we continue on. But again, knowing that what people talk about most about her is her disappearance. Like, it's just hard. Mm -hmm. So we've said it a few times about how law enforcement is motivated to find answers for her family. And there are two rewards for information leading to the person responsible for Aisha's disappearance. And it totals $45,000, which is a lot of money. Yeah. And so if anyone does have information, you can contact the FBI or the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office. And, you know, as we always do with missing persons cases, we'll we'll post her missing persons flyer. And the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has released age progression photos that we talked about earlier. And that's what's on those flyers and also on the billboards. And in terms of updates for the case, we'll include them in our True Crime Digest, too. Yeah. Because we're optimistic, right? We are. We are. This family just needs answers. So, Lindsay, what do you think? What do you think happened to Aisha? I think that she thought that she was meeting the little girl in the photo. I think that, too. And several reasons for this. But the biggest is that... She packed like an adult told her what to do, Mm -hmm. right? She packed like she wasn't going to come home that night in a way that was strange, to me at least, and finding like candy wrappers and things like that, right? And the adult packed bag, it all to me suggests that she had communication with someone who she thought was that little girl 
or she thought she was going to meet that little girl. So maybe like whomever she was talking to was like, oh, I'll pick you up and you'll get to go meet her. And maybe it was somebody who she knew and trusted Mm -hmm. and had a relationship with already who she saw as somebody she respected or who was an authority figure who she trusted. And they were like, oh, I'm going to go take you to like meet my niece. And this is who she looks like. Right. Or maybe she thought she was talking to this child and whomever said like, it's my dad coming to pick you up because like the little girl in the photo could clearly not drive. Yeah. And so that's my guess, because to me, there's nothing that gets her out of the house in the way that she did where she is not going to someone who she trusts. Yeah, because she's scared of the dark. She's scared of storms. Why is she going out in the middle of the night to begin with? Like, and also, right, it seemed like she had a strict home. Not like scary strict, but like there were rules, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to come home. You're going to do your homework. You're going to do your chores. And then you're going to play. And she was following that routine when her parents weren't home. So clearly, you know, like they had rules that were followed. And I doubt that part of what was allowed was them scampering out of the house in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's so strange to me that the neighbor, at least according to that 911 script that we have, we don't have the actual call, that Harold said that the neighbor mentioned that she left. And the fact that the two truck drivers say that they also saw her. I do know that a very big discussion is that people don't think that that was Asia on the road that night and that perhaps they did see someone else, which I mean, it is entirely true. I don't know. But I really do think that the photo of the little girl is a big key to this. Yeah. And I think that it really does need to be shared again. And I think that they need to share a better resolution of it because you can tell that it's just like a a newspaper photo of it, right? Like it's not scanned in with today's technology to show us what the actual photo looked like at the time. Because again, 2000, those are colored photos. (laughs) They're not like you know, forever yeah. ago. And it's so clearly a school photo, you know, one of the little chopped out ones that like mm-hmm. are like wallet size, quote unquote, nobody's putting photos in their wallet, but like follow me on this, that it's that size that like you would get from someone you knew. Yes. Right. Like you wouldn't just have access to these. You know, when you go into like a, an antique store, they'll have like a little bin of like antique photos that you can get. Yes. Right. This isn't that. This is a contemporary school photo that looks like it's from around 2000. Yes. Agreed. And I think if they could share a better photo of it and get it nationwide, there's so many web sleuths already on this case online. I'm sure people would be willing to dedicate some time to look through old yearbooks to put that photo. And also with AI, they could do age progression as well. It's like, well, what does she look like now? That's true. Can we find somebody now who looks like her? Because could you imagine like this person's just out there living their life and their photos being shared about this and they have no clue that their childhood photo is is in this case? That would be unnerving. That's our hope is that they are safe too. Because in my thoughts, I'm like, is she safe? Was she a victim too? I mean, that's hope speaking, right? Hoping that she's just out as an adult living her life somewhere. But like my brain went to, is that how he lures his victims with his previous victim? Right. And if we could see it, like the colored photo of it, we could see the background and match that to what schools in that time frame use those backgrounds. Because even where I live, all the schools use different backgrounds each year at different times. So it might help narrow it down a tad. They don't use too many different and like when I was a kid, it was like you were next to a tree, there are lasers, or you were in a food court. Like those were the options. Food like court? there wasn't many. Just looking at this, like it's a terrible resolution, but the black and white photo, it looks like it's a distinct background. 
it's not just like the plain gray background. There's something there, but it's hard to determine what it is without a better photo. But I do agree like with the theories that perhaps she was meeting some sort of pen pal and that she intended on meeting this little girl. And then that's not what happened. So another really interesting detail that sent me down a long rabbit hole was the new kids on the block shirt because she's too young to have a new kids on the block shirt, right? Like that was the generation before. And how how would she get her hands on it, right? Her parents had never seen it before. Where did it come from? So when searching for it, I found a lot of secondhand sale sites, obviously, that had the shirt. And I found out that that shirt, like the little stars at the bottom, are from the tour Hanging Tough from New Kids on the Block. The tour was only a few dates in 1988. So it would have been before she was born. But it did stop in Atlanta on August 9th of 1988, which her family was from Atlanta. So hear me out. That stuck out because she had just gone to Atlanta for a family reunion. So did maybe she get the shirt there? What if a family member gave it to her? Or what if it was a family member that gave it to her that had ill intent? Because as I was going down this rabbit hole, I found another author that was kind of spiraling at some point too. And they were looking at the 1990 tour for New Kids on the Block where they went to North Carolina specifically. And just coincidentally, they were in Charlotte, North Carolina days after Aisha was born on August 9th of 1990. And that author mentioned that it would be interesting to see if it was possible who bought tickets for that concert and how many of those people overlap with people the Degree family knew, which that's not possible, but it's an interesting thought. But anyway, so what I was thinking is that it was from the next tour, the 1990 tour, because of the little stars. But anyways, why I bring that up is because who could have had the shirt? Where did it come from? How did Aisha get her hands on it, right? A few things. Remember how I said one of the investigators said relationships can change? Yeah. Well, a big thought is maybe what he's kind of hinting towards is who owned the shirt? Who do you know that owned the shirt? Hmm. Right? And very interesting. However, when I'm looking at the shirt from the FBI's website, right? They have they have a video, they have pictures, they have everything. And this is like fbi.gov, so it's like I feel like official, right? They have the shirt, they have the the book. And my question is, is this the exact shirt? Is this like a photo of what was in the backpack? Like they pulled it out, sent it for processing, and they're like, this is what it looked like. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's my first question. Because as I was spiraling, I found that that shirt came in different varieties and didn't always look the same way. So like, uh, Lindsay, if you'll scroll (laughs) to page 27 of our (laughs) outline today cute 27 pages oh yeah yeah that's what the fbi shows right yeah and if you notice the bottom of the shirt and we're gonna post this obviously the bottom of the shirt is like curved wrinkled it's curved he looks like stretched out yeah but to me that says nightgown like that's a kid's nightgown that they posted when you scroll a little bit more to page 28 this is the exact t-shirt that people could purchase at the concert in 1988 huh so You see the difference with the bottom hem. This is a t-shirt. The other one is a kid's nightgown. Now scroll more. This is an eBay listing that I found last night. This looks identical to the one that the FBI showed. So as I was spiraling, I reached out to this eBay person because I was like, hey, do you know if this is an authentic shirt from the concert 
Or is this the nightgown that was mass produced? Because from what I understand, there was a nightgown that was mass produced so anyone could have bought it. It doesn't really like narrow it down too, too much. Mm -hmm. And the eBay person did message me back recently and said that they believe that was mass produced. So again, my question is what the FBI shared. Was that a true exact replica of the shirt that they have? Or was it one of the versions of the shirt to help narrow it down? And maybe I'm looking into it too much, but as a concert person. No, that's a good point, though, because like, is it a nightgown or is it a T-shirt? Like those are two fucking different things. And one of those is pajamas. And the other is why did she have an adult T-shirt? Yes. Yes, that too. But I I don't know. I went down it. That's when I was like, oh, it's midnight. Oh, my gosh. But my thought is perhaps someone gave her a tour shirt or possibly a nightgown. Who gave it to her? Was it someone that was at Atlanta, one of her family members? And they either said, hey, bring that shirt when you come to meet me or something along those lines. Because like if she would have gotten that shirt and never wore it, her mom never would have probably washed it, right? She wouldn't even know she had it had she packed it away and like hid it in her room somewhere. Yeah. Again, that's just like a crazy thought that I went down at midnight. I don't know. It could also be the reason for the shirt. Like, oh, hey, like, could you meet me? I want my shirt. Exactly. Right. Like, and that's what it is. And it's like, oh, you're packing a bag because you can spend the night after. It's a reason mm-hmm. to get her out of the house. Yep. And then also, remember, she packed a lot of her favorite clothes. And this was something that she either packed or entirely different story. Whoever took her maybe had some stuff with them and they just threw some shit in the backpack, too. We don't know. We don't know if she actually even touched the shirt ever. But we know a lot of the time when a child disappears, it's someone that they know or a family member. And so what if, again, I don't want to point fingers at a a missing girl's family. That that's awful. But it's just weird if it was a concert shirt And for that particular concert, they did not go to North Carolina, but they did go to Atlanta. Could just be a crazy coincidence. I don't know. I think that they were touring a lot of places at that time. So I think it would be harder to find a place they didn't go. But I do agree with you that I think it had to be somebody she trusted. Yes. Agreed. To be able to get her out of the house in circumstances that were not for her in the middle of the night. Yes. Yeah. And that was probably just a bunch of nonsense the way that I explained it. But again, I was like, where did this come from? And I feel like it's a big piece, right? The between the shirt, the picture of the girl and the book, like it came from her library, like her school library. I don't know if she checked it out. It could have been another kid. I don't know how it got to her backpack, but I don't know. I feel like the shirt and the picture stand out more to me. Agreed. Yes, they do. So, of course, we want to know what you think. Have you heard of this case before? What do you think happened to Asia? Yeah. And we're going to share all of the missing persons information on our social media. If you would share it, we would really appreciate it. And I'm sure Aisha's family would as well. We're also going to share the photo of the mystery little girl as well. So Amanda said at the top of the episode, we'll say it here again. We're always looking for new cases to cover. Should you know of a missing person's case or I don't want this to be true, but should you know somebody who is missing, feel free to reach out to us. We would love to spread more information about them to help them be found. Yeah. But if a heavier episode, but, you know, sometimes that's how it is. And to get important information, it's going to be serious sometimes. Yeah. With that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, 
more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't celebrated in so long that it's insignificant to me. Happy Love Day. I am. Look, do I want to say that I'm a Valentine's Day pro? Yes. Because. I am 10 out of 10. The things I have done, the cutest, I'm excellent at like cute detailed displays of love. Cute. But that being said, like, we're now married five years. We just, for our anniversary and Valentine's Day, I'm thinking of like any other thing there would be. We just go to Iron Age, which is Korean barbecue. We're just like, do you want to go to Iron Age? And we're like, yeah, great. And that's just what we do now. Wonderful. But like, he's not listening to this, so it won't matter that he knows. (laughs) Maybe this year I'll do like a little like... Something, something cute for him, but we'll never know. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Don't hold me to it. <laughs> now he can't listen to it. <laughs> I feel like after having a kid, now it's just like kid stuff most of the time. Oh so. yeah, that's fair. We have some drum lessons that day. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I mean, fair. But anyway, so today, do you like candy hearts? No, really, I love them. Specifically, the white ones and the yellow ones. I feel like they're all the same. False. They are not. The <laughs> like pink red ones, they're like very weird. Normally, like red flavor is good. Taste wise, not good for you. We all know that red dye five is just objectively <laughs> bad for you. Uh, but the red flavor is wrong. Okay. Sour in a way that's like, is something wrong? And then the white flavor is like a uh, mint in a good way. And then the yellow flavor is imitation banana which is the only banana that I like, unless it's in banana bread. I don't eat fresh bananas, and you're allergic to bananas anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. But banana artificial flavor, like the flavor of like a banana runt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Obviously, this is going. I only like me. chocolate. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I don't know. I don't really like other like candies most of the time. I like the middle of a Reese's. <laughs> oh, not I, the edges. You know what, though? I've never considered that. And Amanda, I prefer the edges. That's why we work. Yeah. I'm the I'm the ridgy part. <laughs> yeah, that smooth peanut butter center. How's <laughs> this the episode already? <laughs> Whatever. We have a rich end of episode crop. I feel like it's helpful. Good. I feel like it, especially on an episode when it's. Did you hear that sound she made? That's heavy. This is at the end to show that we are not monsters who can just talk about very sad things and have no emotions and that we don't have coping mechanisms where we delay it for a second. Yeah. Well, we've already gone up and down even like what the two hours we've been talking before this. Yeah. We've talked about the the case and then we've talked about nonsense. Then the case, then nonsense just to like as it always help us do. cope. Yeah. <laughs> also, this is definitely going on to the end. But like speaking of Internet friends. That is the origin of how Amanda and I know each other is from my husband's internet friend who... I forgot that that, that was had, in the same realm. My, I know. <laughs> are completely fucking like... How did I even forget that? But like my husband's internet friend's wife was Amanda's middle school best friend. Weird. And for the first, what, two years of the podcast, we had never met each other in person. Yeah. <laughs> and then we surprised you with a trip here to stay at my house. Why didn't we call this strangers from the internet? Like we absolutely should have called it strangers from the internet. <laughs> I talk about murder with my internet friend. This isn't an alarm, right? 
wild. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Love it. Perfect. Great end of episode content. Unrelated. Have I ever showed you my senior photos? <laughs> no, but you're going to. I am. This just looks like a creepy fucking car to me. It does not look like a flashy muscle car. Because when you think of Thunderbird, that's what I think. Yeah. But this isn't like they're flashier models to me. I mean, I might be a little biased because we go to like car shows and we see these often. I did not know you were a car girly. I'm not. We have a muscle car. So like. Oh, yeah, that's true. But we're not. um, We're not obsessed. I'm not obsessed, at least. My son, uh, I think in kindergarten, they had like a Dr. Seuss day Mm -hmm. and they had to like dress up and do a whole thing on a book. And I remember like going through the lists of books and yeah, I'm glad that one didn't come up. This needs to go on the end, but I need you to know, have you seen the TikTok of it's a group of women and they're dressed for Halloween as the Lorax and they're not trying to be sexy Lorax. I'm talking, they have like, I have orange paint. I still have to say it because I need everybody else to hear it. Orange paint, like a leotard. They've got the eyebrows, bald caps. And I mean, they're covered in orange and it's just a group of them. And one of them is standing at the mirror and she's got like makeup remover and is attempting to remove the orange paint very unsuccessfully and like she's like struggling and not looking happy but it's the faces of all of the other women that is just like chef's kiss because like it's it's like sinking in that they are all going to be orange for the foreseeable future (laughs) and that they've all done this they were like this will be cute and funny and it's like now they are orange yes i have seen a few actually of like this last halloween and it was like all all these cute costumes and they're like and then there's me the lorax i love how many people were the lorax i also saw very like several animal videos of responding to where like the animal is looking at someone who they know and love but they're dressed as the lorax and they're like i don't fucking trust you (laughs) i don't know who you are i don't know what's going on you smell familiar but you don't look like a person you're the motherfucking lorax and you're here to speak with the trees 